perhaps it is that we really can get good at change and like it. Maybe it is that, because I think that people think that change is reserved for when it happens, right? How do you deal with it after it happens? But I think that we have this clarity that change is truly a competency. And if we could really get good at it, we'll volunteer for change. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm gonna choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. My guest today is a keynote speaker, facilitator, and leadership coach who's been at Franklin Covey as a consultant since 2008. You've likely read or at least heard of the iconic productivity book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This is the flagship book of the Franklin Covey organization. And my guest today has been an ambassador of its teachings for over a decade. Few people on the planet better understand its principles and even fewer have taught as many others how to infuse its philosophy into their life and business. Her work focuses on effective communication, leadership, professional change and transitions, employee engagement and retention. And I'm so excited to share that she's co-authored Franklin Covey's newest book, Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. And today we're going to discuss the key insights from this book and her vast knowledge in the world of leadership and communication. Two areas that I absolutely love talking about. So let's jump in to the conversation with my guest today, Marche Flechette. Hi, Billy. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I mentioned prior to starting that I'd watched a recent, I guess it's not too, too recent, but an interview you did with somebody who I interviewed, Scott Jeffrey Miller. And one of the things you talked about or you explored quite in depth is facilitation, which is something that I'm passionate about and speaking and how to focus on those nuances that many people don't really pay that much attention to. And you referenced somebody named Judy Hendricks, and she made an influence on you and your understanding and how to be a better facilitator, be a better presenter. Can you talk a little bit about what she taught you and some of the principles that stand out as you think and reflect on how she was able to give you the guidance in those areas? Yes. So it really is, as facilitators, we really are transferring knowledge. 
but it really, it can't be about, you probably have heard this just from your own background, it's not, it's not about being the sage on the stage, right? And so how we present ourselves, she has actually done a lot of work in just impactful facilitation. And she talks about body language. She talks about relating to the people who are in your audience, eye contact. It really, all of it is in service to how do we transfer this knowledge in a way that is engaging, that makes people want to listen, and is not so formal that people are bored to death. And so it really is just the facing people constantly. And what I do as a senior delivery consultant at Franklin Covey, it was just so interesting to me. And I was influenced by it because it's like I wanted at the time that I learned a little bit about her, I wanted to know, like, how do I convey the messages that I do in the most impactful way? Well, delivery matters. How you present information matters to how it's received. And so we're going to go into the weeds on this idea of change, which is something that's very top of mind for me as a business owner. There's a lot of change happening in my business. But let's back up and let's look at this from a very broad perspective. Humans have been fearing and resisting change for a very long time. Why do we resist it? And and why do we fear it so much? So it's really interesting because it is absolutely psychological. It is also neurological. There are very clear reasons that we have a hard time with change. So we get used to our brains are hardwired for what we're used to. And when something, anything, even in our day-to-day, something simple changes, it's kind of jarring just Mm. a little bit. So imagine if that is in a moment, what happens when something that we are really used to experiencing in our work lives, in our daily lives personally, as leaders, when something really changes, that's going to change the trajectory of how things are going to happen every day. It's jarring because we don't know what it means. Initially, we don't most of the time, unless we are the creators of whatever that change happens to be. And by the way, even when we are the creators of the change, there is still <laughs> this thing that we go through to get through the change. Yeah, it's it's a great point. It's, it's not always change that's being introduced from a third party. It may be our own change that we've brought in and it still can be jarring. And I, I love what you said. I think as human beings, We have routines. We have our day-to-day life. I've said this a lot on this show, but when something out of the ordinary pops up, our brain is triggered. It's alerted. It's a protection mechanism. It's putting us out of harm's way. We want to avoid anything that could be risky, could be something that compromises our safety. And so when we see these things pop up, it could be a surprise. It could be change. We pay attention to those things. Just, Just neurologically, we pay attention. So In reading a little bit about the book, one of the things that stood out is this idea of you could either get owned by change or you could decide to own change yourself. So talk a little bit about what that exactly means. It's that we have a choice. So change is the one constant, right? It's kind of an oxymoron. It's like change is the one thing that is going to constantly happen. That's right. And either it can overtake us or we can participate. We can be active participants in whatever the change happens to be. And that's what we mean, my co-authors and I, when we say own change or be owned by it. 
And we can really get good at change. Everybody, any of us can get good at change if we understand what happens. What do we need to know in the process? How can we talk this through? How are we feeling about the change, right? And when we make a decision, and there's something that we actually call the point of decision, it's almost like, all right, I'm going to try. And we buy in to just seeing, all right, I'm in. I don't know exactly what to do, but I am going to give it a shot. And then you start to try different things. And that's how, you know, we all can own change. We can all be a part of it. It does not have to overtake us. Well, yeah. And you mentioned a really important point, which is embracing it. And effectively, you're not pushing the change away. You're accepting that the change is here and you're and you're embracing it. So how do we exactly do this? Like, what are some of the, you mentioned a few things in there, but maybe go a bit deeper, like this point of, what did you call it? Uh, point of decision. Point of decision. Maybe talk about that and then some other of the building blocks that you map out in the book. Okay. So I'm sure you're going to ask me some good questions that unpack this, but it's probably helpful to give you a little bit of an idea of the framework of change. Is that okay? Framework is my middle name. Let's let's okay. get out the frameworks. I love okay. it. Go for it. So, so here's the deal. We know that there is a predictable pattern of change that if we can understand it, we could actually get through it. So there's what we call the zone of status quo. And I'll tell you all about all of them in a moment. There's the zone of status quo where everything is lovely. We know how, I mean, life is good. We could just sleep on whatever it happens to be. And then Change happens, and then there is this zone of disruption, where in a lot of ways, it feels like the rug has been you know, snatched from beneath us. And in the zone of disruption, it's disorienting. It is where you see people sometimes really talk a lot. They, they don't know what's going to happen. A lot of emotions are there. By the way, in this process that I'm talking about, imagine there is this change curve, right? And with that dip, it is a dip in productivity. It's a dip in costs that, by the way, everything I'm talking about as it relates to change, it is so helpful for companies to understand this, but it's also something that every individual within companies who happen to be human beings and people you know, in society experiences as well. In that dip, oftentimes, the longer we stay there, we're losing time, we're losing money, we aren't productive, whatever we were doing really well and some things that needed to continue to go on, sometimes that slows down. And we stay there and we stay there and we stay there until we reach the point of decision. And at the point of decision, it's, and we don't get there until we get enough information to understand what's happening. Like, why is this happening? What does this mean for me? You know, what am I going to have to do to get to, do I even want to be a part of this? Right. And when you get enough information, that's where people either opt in and they own the change, they get into the change game. It's a thoroughfare into trying, or sometimes they decide, I don't want to be a part of it. Right. And so that point of decision is really where we buy in. And as mature team members, contributors, professionals, individuals, it's where, like, we're going to try. We'll mm. see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So you got this zone of status quo. Everything's normal. We kind of want things to be the same and orderly. And then we got the zone of disruption where everything's chaotic and 
It gives us a, probably a little bit of an uneasy feeling. And then there's this point of decision, which is almost like an inflection point. And, it, and it's either you're accepting or you're you're saying, no, it sounds like you could, you can also reject. That is, I guess, a real possibility. A, am I understanding this correctly? And then B, what happens after this point of decision or what should we be thinking about after that point of decision? So that takes us, the point of decision is the thoroughfare into the zone of adoption. And the zone of adoption is where we're going to try. And it's so many things like for any given change, there's so many things that we can try. And it's important for us to really figure out what is it? What can we? We get creative with that. And this is so important because I'm just sharing this with you just from a, a general perspective, but I can also share it with you from a leadership perspective because leaders have their roles, particularly in the workplace and helping people to get through it. But as individuals, we're trying things. And it's interesting because we have an illustration in the book that shows it's not so smooth. If you would think like, okay, I'm in the zone of adoption. It's on now. And I am going to be able to accomplish and get to whatever this goal is that I'm trying to get to that is the change goal. But it looks, we always, it's kind of a point of a laughter sometimes. There, we say it's a squiggly line. And it's a squiggly line because it's not so smooth. And to be honest with you, that's where change often fails in the zone of adoption when people are trying. And by the way, all of this requires some support. It requires some conversation with colleagues, leaders, family members. It requires processing. But in the zone of adoption, it's where we're really trying. And sometimes, every time that the squiggly line is because we're going, I tried that, it did not work. I don't like it. I don't know if I'm in, I may back, you know, I may feel like I'm back at the zone of disruption in some ways, because every time we try something, it's almost like starting a new change, right? I've got to switch gears. I've got to figure out what works. But if you stick in there and we say persist enough, if you're persistent, anybody will see you can get to a point that is greater than where you started. Mm. And that takes us to the zone of innovation. And it's almost like leveling up. And if we get good at this, and really the ability to change is a competency that everybody in this world of change really needs to leverage. When you get to the zone of innovation, it requires us to look around and see, because it's not always obvious. It's not just about accomplishing the change. It's about looking around and exploring to see what's possible that I couldn't do before. And I'll give you an example of that. <laughs> COVID would be the obvious change that everybody has gone through. You know, through COVID, it was a lot of change. It was really a lot of inconvenience, I guess I could say, for so many of us. But through that, I think organizations recognized people can work remote when so many organizations thought like, no, nah, we can't do that. They can save money, right, with travel and we could do things. They have access to people who are in totally different places, other countries even. And it's just so much more. So in the zone of innovation, it requires us to look and see how are we better? And also to really kind of celebrate, we can do this and we've leveled up and change is going to happen again to the point where maybe people get kind of excited about change and not fearful. Mm, so powerful. I love the different zones. And it's funny, as I reflect on what you just said, I think of this quote, necessity is the mother of innovation. Well, we know change is necessary. So change is also 
and another word to use to describe the mother of innovation. When we have change, it really gives us this opportunity to innovate and think differently. COVID is a great example. I mean, I love eating out, okay? Like, I love eating out. I live in LA where, for whatever reason, you think in Southern California, there'd be so many places to eat outside. Prior to COVID, yes, there were some places, but not anywhere near to the degree that exists today. Today, I could go to almost any restaurant and they have some kind of outdoor area because of COVID. And my hope is that doesn't get scaled back because, oh, COVID's not really the reason we have this anymore, but it's still a lingering innovation that happened because of the need, because of the change. And I also feel like history is such a great teacher. And in your book, I know you reference some historical anecdotes that help to illustrate how change has played such a pivotal role in how we've evolved. Can you share one or two historical references that you illustrate in the book to help to showcase change? Yeah, sure. So let's use ice, for example. So hundreds of years ago, it, somehow we figured out like when ice froze, they used lakes, right? To get frozen ice, we found that it can hold food or preserve, you know, food. And then over time, it went from iced lakes where very wealthy people could afford that to maybe in the 1800s, they started to create ice blocks and deliver them to the homes of people who had ice boxes in their homes. And at some point, you know, it's like the world society is evolving. And at a certain level, you know, it's like things are happening and people, more people are getting ice boxes and then they improve the ice boxes to refrigerators, right? So your refrigerator has a freezer now, right? And that kind of put the ice people in out of business, right? So they had to figure out if this is changing, one of the biggest ice make you know producers that would get things back and forth, foods to different states, different countries. They figured out if we're going to do this, if everybody's gonna have a refrigerator, what if we just sold ice? And what if we sold convenient foods that need ice? And it actually ends up being a company that's 7-Eleven. Mm. So it actually started, right? So it really is. Change is the mother of invention. And history, I do think, I mean, it's so many examples of that. But it's so many things, how things have changed and we evolve and we must change with the changes. Mm. It's very, it's so interesting. There's someone who I know who is so used to doing things, banking and so on. To this day, 2023. They do not like getting direct deposit. They get direct deposit, but they go to the bank and they get, they get checks, they get checks and they go to the places where they need to be paid because they don't trust, trust things. And I'm constantly saying, you have got to change at a certain point. And then they don't use checks. They use money orders. That's what I was trying to say. And the other thing is they use cash. They don't really trust banks. Right. And I'm thinking at some point, I honestly think money, cash money is not (laughs) going to exist. So you've got to change with the changes. And it's interesting. It's just hard. And I don't think the majority, I think the majority of of people have changed with technology, but so much is changing. So much is changing. 
And we have to change. We have to adapt and be able to adjust to the changes that are inevitably going to happen. Yeah. And I love the way you said that you got to change with the changes because it's true. I think we often as human beings, we resist change so much and often it's to our detriment. We don't serve ourselves by being so resistant to change. One of the things that you mentioned in the book, at least from what I've gathered, because the book's still, still to be published, is this idea of the change paradox mentality. What exactly is that? And how and why should we implement that into our everyday life? Yeah, it's how we see change. And we can, on our own, we can actually change our view of change. It could be helpful. Organizations must grow. If you stay the same, if there is no revenue flow, if it's not an upward movement and that, we're going to get left behind. We won't be competitive, right? So there is this idea like change is hard and we resist it. But, you know, the paradox is if we don't, we're not going to be competitive. We won't, you know, we'll get left behind. And so we could actually use change to our advantage. And if we understand how to do it, then it could be really helpful. And that's what largely the book really helps leaders understand how do we navigate our team members through change? Because we've got to help people see it in a way that is not so scary. We, we must acknowledge that there is this visceral reaction to change, but it doesn't have to be scary. Mm. It's a great point. So let's unpack that. So what should leaders be doing? What, like, give us some building blocks and nuts and bolts of what some of the insights that are shared in the book as it relates directly to how to lead people through change. So I'll go back to the model that I mentioned. Here's something that I want to convey also. Kubler and Ross actually had this framework or this idea of what happens with change. Understand that this is what you're going to go through. And with great respect to that, we have this framework, but honestly, the real thing is that it's about people. That's what distinguishes what we're doing and what we're trying to help leaders with. It's about people. So there are some things that we could do to make change a lot more palatable. And the first thing that we say to leaders is it's important to envision change. So a really effective leader, a really sharp leader is always going to be keeping a pulse on what's happening in the world, what's happening in the industry, what's coming down the pikes, what am I hearing in the executive meetings? They've got to keep a pulse, read, listen, have an ear, right, to see what's happening. And I'll share it with you after this. There's a change parable that is really cool in the book also. But it's almost like being the captain of a ship, having a telescope, like looking what's coming up. So Mm. that's the first thing that we can do as leaders. And the other thing is, so we say envision change. And in that, it's helpful before we ever, the change ever happens, to start creating a compelling case so that you could help your team members understand what's possible what's likely, helping them to understand, you know, change happens. Not to be an alarmist, not to scare them or have them concerned whether they'll have jobs or not. Not that, but just to help them understand as visionary leaders that, you know, change is constant and we always want to be great. We want to be better. Things are always changing and we always just want to be ready for it. So 
if you, I'm saying you, but it's any leader who knows that potentially we could not anticipate COVID, but as it was happening very quickly, we really did have to think about how this would impact us. But there's so many other things that, you know, could be happening. You know, we have reorgs, acquisitions that we hear about before it happens, right? Someone is going to retire. It's just all kinds of changes that happen. So before in the zone of status quo, just kind of keep an ear and kind of have a compelling case for what you would say. So in the zone of disruption, where I told you it's kind of like the dip down, it's so important. People need clarity. They want to know seriously what just happened. And if we're really good leaders, we convey to them what this means, what we know, right? And, and which means that as leaders, like we have got to get as informed as we can because people are the only way people make it happen. What I realize is our leaders are smart. We hire people who have the skills, they have what it takes to do the role. But a lot of times the people part of it is a bit missing, right? So we want to make sure that we are clarifying as much as we can. We've got a dialogue. We've got to communicate with people. They're scared. Sometimes they're angry. Sometimes they're resistant. They're thinking, I'm not doing this. And we're only as successful as the people who help us accomplish the change. So we've got to dialogue with them. Here's another thing. We know that there are some reactions to change, some common reactions to change. And I'll tell you about them shortly. But I mean, people can be quick to move. There are people, honestly, there are some people who like change. I'm hearing that a little bit more than I used to. So you got some people who might be ready to move. They're ready to go. We call those, you know, people who move. There are people who minimize. They don't believe this is going to happen. And if I've got to change, I'll just do whatever is necessary, but not much more than that. You have people who wait, to be really honest with you. Years ago, that was my norm, just in general. I'm a very compliant person. I've always been as a leader, as an con- individual contributor. But I would wait to see how is this impacting everybody else before I dive in. <laughs> there are people who wait. There are those who are resistant. And sometimes they're very vocal. And they, they tell other people, like, this is silly. This is not going to work. This, you know, why are we doing this? And sometimes they are secretive with how they feel about it. Sometimes they're very vocal, very overt with it. And then there are those who quit. There are those who quit, quit. And there are those who quiet, quit, right? Mm. There are those who decide they don't like it and they just stay and they don't engage in it. So in the zone of status quo, it's really important as leaders to share and dialogue as much as you can with the, the people who work with you because they need to know, they need to understand. And if we can understand and talk to them about how are you feeling, we get a chance to understand this person is waiting, this person. And by the way, all of the responses to change, the reactions to change, there are pros and cons to all of them, except maybe quit and stay, right? Mm -hmm. But even quit is not the worst thing. Sometimes people feel like this isn't what I signed up for. This is not what I want to do. And that's not the worst thing. Mm-hmm. But when we have the conversations and we understand that, we can actually understand how to get them to that point of decision that I talked about earlier. Mm. All right. That makes sense. <laughs> so we're in the zone of if we can get them to the point of decision, we get to the zone of adoption. 
then we get them to a place where they are going to try. They have bought in. Well, it's going to be important for us to engage them, have them talking to each other, understand what's working and have, when I say have them share with each other, some people are trying things and they can prevent a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of challenge just by sharing, this did not work, don't try it, All right? Or this really works because some people are still skeptical, they're still angry, they're still annoyed. Remember, it's the squiggly line. Mm. So it's about engaging them. Don't let them drop out. And by the way, a word that is popping up in my head, and I think we talk about it a bit in the book. It's trust. We've got to be credible leaders. They, we've got to earn their trust that we're in this with them. And by the way, honestly, I didn't mention this before, but as leaders, we're people too. So mm-hmm. how are we responding to change? How right. are we feeling? And we've got to get ourselves together on that before we introduce the change to others. Because if they feel like we don't really like it and we're just putting it out there, then they're not going to engage so much either. So if we can engage them in the the zone of adoption, we could get them to the zone of innovation. And that is where we really do inspire them. We get them looking around. We champion them. And all along, we need to be celebrating with them, having good conversations, making it okay to say, I don't like this, and asking, what don't you like? What's happening? Do you have suggestions? Right? So it really is, it's a dance between leaders and their people that has to happen to make the process of change work. But just to understand the framework and to understand the reactions and the fact that it's people who make this happen, we just have to indulge them and engage ourselves more in the change process. Yeah. And I I think to your point, there's a great value in accepting and creating an atmosphere and environment where they're comfortable sharing how they feel. And we do have to lead to the individual. Like everybody's going to have a different way in which they embrace change and including the leader themselves. They're going to have a different way of taking in the change. I love how you talk about first it starts with envisioning and then making a case. I guess my question is, as I think through this process and I love how you infused it with the the framework that you introduced at the beginning of our discussion. If we're looking at individuals and every individual, there's, there's archetypes, right? And like they accept or they quit or they, you know, whatever that may be. And we're thinking about making a case. How do we make a case, but also bear in mind that the case that we make might be or might need to be slightly nuanced or different based on the individual? So it really requires, it's a bit of strategy and indulging every individual, which as leaders, we should be doing anyway as good leaders. But it really is finding out what do they value and aligning what matters most to them with the values of the organization and and this change. And having real good discussions to see how can they see how this could be a benefit them. How can they do something that is an alignment? How do you find how do you find that something that inspires a person that like okay, that actually can help us get to where we're trying to get to? How can you utilize that? And I think that that is it's different for different people. And by the way, 
when we understand this, I've just given you the five reactions to change. You realize you have different people, different personalities. You're going to have different people in the change in different places in the change model. As a leader, you might say, I'm at the zone of innovation. Like I'm ready to, I see some things that this is going to benefit. And you can still have people who not bought in yet. Mm -hmm. Right. And you could have someone who you could have 10 team members who are in the zone of adoption. They're trying, but then you could still see in this space. Now they're waiting again or now they're resisting. Right. So and by the way, you can have every last one of those experiences in one change, any individual. So it's really helpful to understand that. But at the very base, it's all about how are we interacting with motivating and inspiring people. You know, it's so funny. Change. Most of us have experienced some kind of system change within our organizations. I have an exa- I have an example and it makes me laugh when I think about it now. Years ago, we changed our employee reimbursement system. And it was very different. It looked very different. They told us this is going to be, we'll be changing this. They did warn us or tell us, so zone of status quo, like we're going to be changing this in about a month and a half, two months. And so when it changed zone of disruption, at the time I was 90% on the road. At the time I have all of these expenses and I go onto the expense platform. I don't even like how it looks. And what does that have to do with anything, but just talk about change? It wasn't the same system. And I'm, I'm thinking it's just clunky. It doesn't really look Nice. So I don't like it. And I try it just a little bit and I just think, uh, I'll wait. So I didn't do my expenses. Well, of course, there's a time that we should be doing that. And so they're sending messages, they're sending things that could be very helpful in my understanding how to use it. But I wasn't opening it because at honestly, that was a little bit of a resistance. I was going to say, you're resisting, right? <laughs> that was resistance, right? I was, I was resisting. So really, I didn't do my expenses for probably almost a month and a half. And I was getting these messages. You have not done, you know, when are you going to turn this in? Because our revenue depends on like, we can't send the bills until we have everything, right? And so I finally, I think that it, everybody got this message. I don't think that it was just me. If you do not do your expenses, if your expenses are over this amount of time, you will not be reimbursed. We'll forfeit your reimbursement because we must submit the bills. And so finally, because of that, and in between, we commiserated all of the consultants. You know, have you tried the new, you know, employee reimbursement? I don't like it. I don't like. It. But there were some who said it's not as bad as you think. And then they actually, our leaders connected, they actually had the person do a video and to share some of the things that seemed to be a little bit challenging. And then they sent screenshots and all kinds of things. And probably all of this was already provided to me. I just was resisting. But at some point I read something that said, this is going to enable us to get our reimbursement much quicker. You can't see it on the front end, but it enables us to submit something to our clients much more easily. And just understanding that was the two things. I almost had $2,000 that I was not going to be reimbursed from my, you know, my own money. It's like my punishment is I wouldn't get paid for that because I was resisting. But when I understood, oh, this is going to help the organization be paid more quickly, 
It made sense. I was in, I tried it. And honestly, I found benefits for myself in it. Mm-hmm. I, I was wasting a whole, there, it gave us the opportunity. It was a time where we were really starting to have the PDF apps, you know, and so on. It's just a system change, but I was able not to take pictures that was taking so much bandwidth and all these things. And it was just better. It was easier. And it just, it became a part of, I mean, it wasn't the pivotal point in my change experience, but it has been very helpful for me to reference that, to relate to change is hard. It really can be. Yeah, it's it's so true. I mean, and we all we all handle it in different ways. As humans, we're complex, layered beings. And even if we might be more likely to be a minimizer or a resistor or somebody that likes to wait for change or somebody wants to move away from change or somebody that wants to quit when change happens, whatever reaction you might tend to have normally, it might not be binary. It might not be one or the other. It might be a fusion of two or three or all of them in some cases, maybe not every single one. But the point being is we are complex. We are layered. And as leaders, we're going to have our own reaction. And then the way in which we help others navigate through change should be informed based on inviting them into the conversation and understanding them. You'd mentioned, and I want to I want to go back to this because I, I think it, as we're talking through this conversation, I think about the book, Who Moved My Cheese? And you, you mentioned a parable that you thought would be a good illustration to bring up. So I'd love it if you could share that. I'll be happy to. So the parable, actually, we have a book, a single book that is kind of the prelude. It's the first chapter of this book. It's, it's Who Rocked the Boat? And it is a parable that's based on a captain with a ship, a cargo ship that is trying to get to a destination. And they have, we've named the reactions to change. We have, in, in reality, we don't want us as leaders to label someone, but in the parable, we give them names. So it is move, minimize, wait, resist, and quit. We've named the people who have roles on the ship. <laughs> and they approach a waterfall. And the captain sees that this is coming and is trying to get everybody prepared. And all of the reactions and all the behaviors of the reactions come out in this parable. So we get a chance to see how they're responding. And they find themselves, and by the way, someone jumps ship. <laughs> <laughs> and they find themselves on the bottom of this fall. And they've got to figure out how do we get to our destination? And the leader is reminding them, we can't just wallow here. Like we've got, we do have a place to go. And so it's a really neat parable that gives any leader and not even any leader. I've got to say like, this is the book really is geared towards leaders. And I want to remind everybody, it's so helpful for anybody. In the parable, they're figuring out how do we get up the cliff, back up on the other side And how do we get to our destination? The captain is reminding them, hey, we have a place to go. We have a purpose. We were going somewhere and we can't just get lost in this. And so they figure out how to do it and they redo the ship and the ship actually becomes an air, an air boat Mm. that flies. So it's really nice. It's really, you know, in testing it and preparing for the book after we wrote it, we tested it with family members, friends and professionals all over. And it really became an amazing tool to talk to team members about who are you? 
How do we do this? What are your reactions? It's such a good tool. And by the way, one of our authors, Curtis Bateman, actually worked very closely with the author of Who Moved My Cheese. And this was the vision that he and his partner at the time recognized. They worked with Spencer Johnson, who was the author, but they recognized at the time, now that people understand through the parable, Who Moved My Cheese, that change happens. They really thought we've got to help people figure out. They they realized in talking to various organizations and leaders, we've got to help them figure out how do you then make the change when we realize change has happened or it's happening. So that's well, yeah. The story brings it to life and it gives some common terminology, nomenclature and and framework to refer back to, which I love that. I think stories and especially like the parables that are giving you a very easy to understand and clear vision of whatever it is you're talking about. It helps it helps anyone embrace it more, understand it more, and visualize it more. So as we as we wind down our, our conversation here, and I, I love this topic, and I'm glad that we were able to to dive deep into the nuance. What haven't we explored? So somebody that wants to pick up the book, I believe it's coming out April 16th. Is that is there somewhere around that or April 18th? What's the date? April 18th. April 18th. So it's coming out April 18th. What are some other key components of the book or characteristics of the book that would help somebody understand what they're getting when they pick it up? Yes. Thank you so much for asking that because it's full of tools and jewels, I would say. So throughout the book, you'll, you'll get tools. So I mentioned, you know, that leaders really need to get clear, like have a compelling case. We even have a tool to create a compelling case. And it's many things throughout all of the stages of change, like what can we do? And it really does surround how do we communicate with people? How do we think through things? So you'll have tools. We have what's called Captain Corners, Captain's Corner, my apologies. And in that, it really gives very clear questions, very clear and grounded information for any leader, any executive, any mid-level leader, any anybody who is helping people to get through change, understand what should you be thinking about? What can you do? What are some of the questions that you could ask? What are some of the options? How do you deal with the person who feels this way or might be resistant or whatever it happens to be? So it really is full of tools and full of very valuable tips and insights. And the other thing that I might say is while it is targeted for leaders. I would encourage anybody who might even be a leader of your family or you're leading yourself. I, you know, among my co-authors, Christy Phillips and Andy Sindrich and Curtis Bateman, it's interesting because they're so smart and they have such experience with leadership in so many ways. And so do I, but I am always reminding myself and us like, this could be really valuable to anybody who experiences change. And that's everybody. That's right. As humans, we all experience change. So I'm sure the principles in the book can impact and help everyone. So my last question is this. What is a commonly held belief, perhaps about change, that most people believe that either you or your co-authors disagree with in some way? 
perhaps it is that we really can get good at change and like it. Maybe it is that, because I think that people think that change is reserved for when it happens, right? How do you deal with it after it happens? But I think that we have this clarity that change is truly a competency. And if we could really get good at it, we'll volunteer for change. And it's not the worst thing. Marcia, give me some stats. I'm a big stat guy. I love data. What, what are some stats I should know about change? Yeah. So a study by McKinsey and Company found that only 25% of organizational change initiatives are successful in achieving their goals. So that lets you know that in organizations, we need some help with change. And then Deloitte actually did a study that showed that organizations that actively manage change have 5.3 times higher levels of employee engagement. And that's extremely important. We're all doing engagement surveys. We know that it translates to productivity. It tra- that translates to how we get revenue, how we're re- reaching our goals. And there's also PwC found that companies that embrace change and focus on innovation were able to deliver a better customer experience and increase customer loyalty. And so isn't that what we all want in our organizations? And if we could just get proficient in change and see it as a competency, we really can just be better at accomplishing our goals within our organizations. What you've touched on there really is the, the life cycle of success in business, which is you have happy customers. You know, it all starts with that. You have happy customers. Happy customers usually means you also have happy employees. And then you could put one above the other. Maybe you go happy employees, then happy customers, but they're both so important. You have those two things. You have happy stakeholders, happy shareholders, because then guess what? You're delivering on the bottom line. You have the employee retention. You have customers that are raving fans, and then they're referring people or telling people about your business, which helps to lead to more revenue, which of course, anyone that's investing in a business or has a stake in that business in some shape or form they're going to be excited that the business is thriving and successful when it comes to the bottom line. And so change really makes a huge, huge difference in all facets of our business world. And you've just demonstrated and highlighted through those studies just how vital it is. So fantastic. So where can people buy the book? Where can people find you that you know would be helpful to learn more from you? Would love it to give you an opportunity to share anything from a, that standpoint, and then uh, and then we'll wrap up. Thank you so much. Well, of course, I can be found on LinkedIn, and you can find me. It's Marche Flechette, and that's P L E S H E T T E. So Marche Flechette and LinkedIn, and you can also buy the book on Amazon, and it is titled Change. How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. Marche, it's been amazing. And whether you like to move away from change or minimize change or wait for change or resist change or even quit when change comes your way, this is a book that will help you navigate through. Marche, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you for being on Inside Out. Thank you so much, Billy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. 
If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.